Welcome to Drinking With Authors. Um, We are actually changing it up, as you know, if you've been listening, which you should have been, and you like, subscribe, and follow. Um, We are doing a new show format because you requested that we do it a little differently. So our normal episode, Literary Briefs, will be combined into one. This is one of the first ones we're doing that officially with versus our uh, wonderful producer put together. So anyway, that's just the blurb for now. And I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing Mark Muncy from Erie Travels. Hi, and gang. our guest today is Monique Fisher. Welcome. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> Yay. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. I was super excited because I'm a, anybody who listens to this show knows, I'm a f- fan of the Flat Rock Cider Company. And they make Ice Spice Baby, which is still the most ridiculous. It's a cranberry spice, but it's only in wintertime. And I found that they have um, a guava passion fruit hard cider. Very nice. So I haven't had it yet. This is my first time having it. I'm super excited. But when I saw it, I was like, this is going on the next podcast. (laughs) Okay, Mark, what are you drinking? Well, I'm still recovering from uh, Con Crud. So I have. Morbid Curiosities. I'm still drinking their Bell Book and Candle. This thing has lasted me forever. I'm only halfway through, and I've been drinking this daily. And uh, it is it is their buttery and daring chai, and it and is delicious. I cannot wait to try some. You were going to bring me some, and then you showed up here and you didn't bring any. So next uh, time, next time, next time. Okay, Monique, what are you drinking? Well, I don't know what state you guys are in. I'm in California. Oh, we're in North Carolina and Florida. Oh, cool. Do you guys have Trader Joe's out there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So somebody that I follow, I forget who, but she's brilliant. <laughs> Is that a peach Bellini drink? Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she posted it on Twitter, and I was like, where did you get that from? And she goes, Trader Joe's. And I was like, okay, I got to go. Thank you so much. Well, she's like, you're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah. I have to write it down, because if I don't write it down, my my... Um, cider self will not remember this trader i i am actually not a huge fan of mimosas i've never been a huge fan of mimosas but man i love a good bellini oh that's i do i like mimosas and i like bellinis but i just i can't do a bloody mary that just uh... they used they used to do a chocolate wine that was not even you couldn't tell it was wine it was it was delicious but that peach bellini is amazing Oh, okay, fine. I don't know if you guys have Cheesecake Factory, but that's the first time. That's where I tried it for the first time. Nice. Oh, yeah, no, down in Florida. Okay, we'll have to check that all out. Okay. Man, we could go down a super Trader Joe's super highway. They have my favorite ginger crystallized, but we're not doing that because we're here (laughs) about Monique, you and your epic writing. So for those that don't know you, what do you write? I write adult contemporary romance and I also write rom-coms. My debut novel where there is smoke, there is fire. Um, came out November of last year. It's um, it chronicles the fifteen year journey of our two main characters, Aaron and Kara, and it um, follows them through everything: career change, um, getting married, having kids, a death in the family. It just follows them through the time that they meet to um, present day, which is about t- um, two thousand twenty two. So yeah, that's what that's about. And it's um, heartfelt. There is humor in it, but I wouldn't categorize it as a comedy. But my next few books, 
are going to be rom-coms and I decided that I'm basically going to create my own little MCU. <laughs> I love <laughs> where, that. <laughs> where all like the rom-coms are like spinoffs and some may be direct sequels. <laughs> some may just be like within the same series. Like right now I'm working on um, what I call the Richardson sibling series. Uh, the very first, um, it's going to go oldest to youngest. And the very first book is Hot for Teacher, which comes out in October. And it's about Latrice uh, Richardson. She's the first Richardson sibling. She's 38 years old, successful business owner. She doesn't really have very much of a love life since her divorce. And she hasn't had sex in a really long time. So her sister um, orchestrates a one night stand with this gentleman that they meet at a restaurant. Oh, has an amazing night only for one week later to find out that this guy has now just been hired to be her son's new teacher. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Very cool. And then Um, um, you have another one coming out after that, right? Yes. Um, Could you hold on one second? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry about that. This was unexpected. (laughs) No worries. No worries at all. So. Mark, yes. How's, how's it going? I I guess somebody appeared at Monique's domicile. So, oh yeah, yeah. We're this is exciting part. We'll this have is, the producer edit this That's out. Great. So I'll make a note about that. It's all good. Yeah, it's okay. a rom-com about that. <laughs> No worries. <laughs> okay, okay, you're back. Um, so uh, you have another one coming out right after that, right? Well, I have one that's out right now, and it's called Take Care. And uh, it centers around um, Amari Hawkins and Jamila Washington. She is an aspiring actress and a cabaret performer. And he works as the VP of original programming for this big streaming service that I made up. Um, Even though I live in L.A. and I could easily like take bits and pieces of L.A., which I have, I've decided to also indulge in my love of world building. So I kind of created my own version of L.A. that has fake companies, fake streets, fake restaurants and all the rest of that stuff. And one of the fake things that it has is a streaming service that's going to make an appearance throughout the entire rom-com universe called Echo. And that's where Amari works. He doesn't want any attachments. He had a really bad breakup. He just wants to be left alone. And she just lo- is just looking for a place to stay. And that all changes the minute they meet. It's a novella. Of course it does. Of yes. <laughs> Uh, it's a novella and it takes place with it obviously within the same universe as Hopper Teacher. Very cool. So since you had your debut novel in November, um, when did you start writing? Honestly, when I was 10. And so no, a I, lot of us it starts at the beginning, but then so now that we've scooby-dooed back in time to when you were 10, now you have to get us to how it took you to now to get because you're not 12 just in case <laughs> that is not the correct age group for this human. Um, so take us from oh, sorry, right. <laughs> yeah, 10 to now. And what was the journey to get you to be a, actually a published author? Okay. Um, let's see. When I was 10 years old, I read um, a roll of thunder, hear my cry, which is like, if you ask any black woman of a certain age, that book was like seminal. And I read it when I was about 10 and it was great because um, Mildred Taylor is the author and she wrote a protagonist, Cassie, who is 10 years old. And I think I was 10 when I first read it. So it was awesome to read a book with a um, main character who was a black girl the same age as me. And it took takes 
place in the South, I believe, during the Great Depression. So mm -hmm. it's also like it has this historical slant to it. But at the same time, there's also so many things about it where you can read about the character casting and still kind of feel like you relate to her because she's a 10-year-old Black girl. And at the time, I was a 10-year-old Black girl. So from there, I started getting like writing assignments in one of my classes. The teacher's name was Ms. Baldwin. I would like to say that she was one of the like seminal figures in my life or whatever, but she wasn't. She was nuts and she had no business teaching children. <laughs> well, and we unfortunately run into that sometimes where we have teachers that and I I I hear this on the show and it it angers me because I know so many amazing teachers, but then I know a lot of teachers, especially when it comes to the arts that completely negate the artistic um, energy of the children, right? They're, you know, you want to be ready. You'll never make money at that. Like, I I just want to punch people that say that. Right? <laughs> like, any, any creative, if you're going into this just to make money, you're not a creative and it's you've got more strategy involved with how you're going to do it. And yeah, that's a whole other podcast. But anyway, okay, continue on your journey for this teacher that should not be teaching children. It wasn't even so much the fact that she was like, oh, you'll never make it as a writer or anything like that. It was just mostly because, um, let me turn. I it's okay. To... You're golden. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I let my family know. I'm going to be recording something in the living room. Please don't be disruptive. <laughs> family don't listen ever. No, no. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so uh, Ms. Baldwin was not one of the oh, you'll never make it as a writer. She was just mostly like, you just really shouldn't be around children. And I feel like you should be medicated. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So yeah, I, I, I was born in 1980. So I went to school in the 80s and 90s and people didn't really seem to care. I, I feel like they just hired anybody around that era. <laughs> well, I, I definitely think it was a, a time when people were it was a different time and it was a different time in approach to schooling. And I actually think it was a believe it or not, a pivotal time to schooling and how people approached education. And then don't get me started with right now, but I totally get it as a child of the eighties myself. I do remember those. I, I do remember the ruler on the knuckles people yeah. too. So yeah, you don't have I, that anymore, but I think everyone on this particular call remembers those teachers. I entered kindergarten in 1985 when that was officially outlawed in the state of California. <laughs> so they were only able to do it through kindergarten. And then by the time I hit first grade, it was illegal. <laughs> but it was um, good. Okay. So yeah. we're, we're, we're there and she shouldn't be teaching. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I just kind of wrote in some form or fashion, like short stories, tried my hand at poetry. It sucked. Um, <laughs> and then I made my way to college where um, I took a screenwriting class, but somehow it didn't really catch hold. So then I started um, considering playwriting and I majored in theater and my concentrations were stage directing and playwriting. I wrote my first one at Clay and I insisted on directing it because I'm, I'm a control freak. So um, um, it was called The Mighty Adventures of John Sledge. And it was basically like, I don't know if you guys have heard of the movie, I'm going to get you, sucker. It came out in 1988 and it was made by uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans. <laughs> oh, so it's no. basically like a stage kind of not a stage version of I'm going to get you, sucker, but kind of like inspired by I'm going to get you, sucker. It was basically a uh, uh, satire on 70s exploitation movies, but written as a one-act play. Oh, wow. That has to be brilliant. I'll have to look it up. 
Oh, you won't be able to look it up. But uh, <laughs> oh, really? No, it was it wasn't like big big at my school. It was like um the student one act festival, so it wasn't like um. Oh well, that's <laughs> that's unfortunate because at the time we didn't have nearly the recording devices. See, if you'd done it now, we could find it on the internet because somebody would have recorded it. It was recorded by Don. Very seriously, it'll be on YouTube or anything else. You know, okay. But- well, good <laughs> listeners, you now have something to hunt for. Begin. Okay. So you go through screenwriting, you do that. How do we get to novels? How do we, how do we, we're jumping. How do we get there? Well, after I um, put stage directing on pause, I had already put playwriting on pause. I decided to try my hand at television writing and I live in LA, so that's perfect. There's like tons of television writing courses all throughout the greater Los Angeles area. And there's obviously some that are even remote. This is even before COVID. And I, um, I joined one called Script Anatomy, and it was amazing because they ran their room like a writer's room. And the two people who run it, Tanya, who I, I love you, Tanya. I hope I say your last name right. Bhattacharya. <laughs> uh, her and her writing partner, Ali Leventhal, would teach classes, and other various people would teach classes like sitcom writing or writing um uh, speculative fiction or something like that so they were just all and they would have guest speakers and stuff so it was there that I actually met one of my good friends her name is Natasha Hall and okay. she is a television writer and she's currently oh. with the rest of them striking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, she and I started writing a comic book together so after that, we also formed a group called the BFCC, which stands for Black Female Comics Collab. And it's a group of Black women from the U.S. and Canada. And some of us are artists and some of us are writers. And we're putting an anthology together. And the theme around it is powerful Black women. Awesome. So some, some have superpowers. Some are witches. Some have like psychic powers. So that's pretty much what the anthology is. We've been working on it for a few years because a lot of us have day jobs and some of us have kids. And so, so it's, um, it's taken a while for it to, um, to come together. <laughs> but we do have like um, handles on uh, IG and Twitter. And we're, we're slowly but surely making our way <laughs> towards. That opening. is very awesome. Okay. And then and from then- there. From there, I decided to write a graphic novel that was um, kind of like a crime romance where she's a madam, he's a drug dealer. And, Whoa, you know, okay. Killed, but they're each other's ride or die. Like, you know, um, they have each other's back. They love each other and everything. And it was called Susan Keen. And the first two issues of it came out um, through a webcomic called Macroverse. And me and the artist Jackie have been working on it for a really long time. Right now, it's kind of like on pause. But from there, I thought, okay, I I, I like the whole romance thing. I want to kind of dig back, dig into that. So I started following people on Twitter. And from there, I started interacting with people on Twitter, which um, for me isn't always easy because I'm hugely introverted. I also suffer from anxiety. So there's times where if I'm talking to people, I'm kind of just like, "Eh." (laughs) um, but it was easier to do it on Twitter because, you know, you're just behind a keyboard. You're not really talking face to face. So I was getting to know people, becoming friends with people. And um, I actually don't know where the idea of where there's smoke came to me. I think I was just thinking one day, I can't remember the last time I saw a Black epic love story. Well, and... I love that that is part of what inspired you in a way. When I say that, 
is because I think more and more we need people who have their own voices that tell stories that can relate to them versus just trying to find entertainment in the stories that are out there. Exactly. I, um, yeah, that's the first thought that came to my mind. And then I think like the closest thing I could come up with as far as a film was Love and Basketball, which I think takes place over like a 10 year period. Yeah. And even then people are like rewatching it and people on Twitter have been saying, this movie actually isn't as romantic as I remember. (laughs) The the main character is actually kind of a selfish jerk. (laughs) Well, and you know, what's interesting is that I think is happening a lot more and more with um, different uh stories now because what was considered sort of the romantic whatever yeah you look back and go well that didn't yeah that didn't age well at all well, yeah. Yeah. yeah so many people are doing that with like with the notebook like he threatened to commit suicide unless she went out with him That's a yeah no the notebook, <laughs> the notebook is a really hard one because there's a lot of um you know on the surface i think there's like this inherent romantic in a lot of us that want to have a love story play out a certain way and have people want you. But like, even I recently was listening to an, um, a thing with the people that were in Grey's Anatomy. And there's this one speech that uh, Meredith gives. Um, and she talks about, choose me, pick me. Right. And she said flat out, she fucking hated that scene and didn't want to do it. Even though it's one of the most iconic scenes from Grey's Anatomy played the most times quoted the most times, whatever, because she's like, I hate it. I'm begging a man to pick me. She's like, it's terrible. And you look and you go, so many people were like, oh, that's so sweet. But like now, especially when it's being acknowledged that you don't have to um, bend yourself one way or the other to find somebody who's compatible to be a partner with you, Mm -hmm. it definitely changes the dynamics of things like the notebook. Because the notebook is great, except for also on the surface, like she has these two different guys. It's very similar to the Sweet Home Alabama that I love that movie. But you kind of go, you had this relationship, you ran from it, right? And started a whole other relationship that you lied to the entire time. Yep. You were in that relationship, even about who you were, right? And so when you pick it apart and go, this is cute. And I, you know, I like the movie, it's entertaining. But if you pull it back to like, is this something that you should model a relationship after? I mean, if somebody came up to you and said, listen, actually, my family's completely different than you think they are. I'm a completely different person. I've been in this relationship with you for X amount of time. I'm not actually divorced. And I didn't tell you I was previously. I mean, yeah. peel, 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 peel. And you just go, ew. For a romance novel, that would be like, the ex that wouldn't be the person that they end up with in the end that would be like the right. the gross ex that you would have always... despise <laughs> exactly so okay i love that you chose to write that so then how long did it take you to write the first book um i started writing it in 2020 when we were everything was on lockdown and it just so happens that in the summer of 2020 all these uh creatives um who a lot of whom were white were basically saying um they're pandering. There's just no way of getting around it. The George Floyd murder had happened. That people were marching all over the world, and they basically just wanted to make themselves look woke in the quote, like the actual definition of woke, <laughs> not the actual definition yeah. of woke, but 
the pretend definition. So the PR the big, definition of woke. Yes, we exactly. say that the PR yes, definition. Yes, exactly. Not the real one. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted to make themselves look like an ally. So a lot of people came out and said, "Oh, if you're a black artist, please send me your stuff. I'm looking to represent more um, diverse uh, diversity. I'm looking to publish more diversity. I'm looking to do this. I'm looking to do that." I got lucky because <laughs> the people that I worked with, I still talk to. <laughs> yeah. It's Mary Kenny, who's awesome. She read um, Susan Keem and gave me notes on it because she put out a tweet saying, I'll read something by a Black writer. If Go ahead and send it to me. And then there's Alex Agura, who is like a legendary comic book writer. And yep. he um, had a, a class that he was teaching that was $175 value. He said, I'll give it away to free for free to a black writer who contacts me and i was like okay what the hell so i contacted him and he said okay you're the first person to respond to me you get into class so these two are actually still very much mentors to me so like i said i got lucky and i didn't get fake people who were trying to just make themselves feel better but i have seen on twitter and i follow so many black writers and i even have a black writers group that meets every sunday there were romance on erotica writers and i've seen so many people who said hey so how many of you got, got promised the stars in the moon in 2020 and nothing, nothing happened nothing came of it and so many people were like oh me me and of course you know when you're black and you live in america you're not surprised yeah all and that's this, yeah that's- all of us were like they're going to do this to pander to make themselves feel better pat themselves on the back and then in two or three years they're going to forget all about it Well, and you know what's kind of scary? Because I have a publishing house as well. And one of the things we pride ourselves on are our own voices across the diversity spectrum, right? And it's not just Black writers, but it's LGBTQA and stuff like that. But we also don't go, hey, tell us your, your, your life things before you submit to us. We go, let's find some good writers and go from there and do it that way. But what's interesting is a lot of the big publishers, and people don't know this, have a quota of how many different books in certain things. Like we're going to publish this many black books. We're going to take on this many black writers. We're going to take on this many Asian writers. Like they literally have quotas. And then once they fill that little quota, they don't do anything else. And people know, <laughs> Trust yeah, me. I, I, I think it's, but I, I, People outside probably don't know, but definitely people like I, I've heard tons of people, writers of color who are just like, oh, yeah, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard. Oh, we already have a black writer. Yeah. That's- like, uh, <laughs> why would you say that to anybody? Because that's not <laughs> the point of an artist. If they are a good writer, regardless, they should have the opportunity, which is equality, which is um, and equity. And that's a whole other topic that we could go down. But I'm glad you found people. So. How did you publish? Uh, I'm self-published. So I, I independently published, my love. Independently published. Independently published because I think it's brilliant that people are independently published and it's absolutely a way to go. You don't have to go with a publisher. Yeah, I try to like make the distinction because um, I know that there are like indie publishers. They're the big five and then there's indie publishers. So when you say indie published, a lot of people, you have to distinguish which one you mean. So I usually say... I am a self-published indie author. I usually say that. I just put in my It own. is confusing. And what's funny is a lot of people don't realize what an indie author actually, an indie publishing house actually means, which is you have to pay them partially to publish your book. You're part of the payment. So they're like, yeah, that's what that's what it actually means. A lot of people don't realize that either, which the is- Vanity Press. 
Oh no, that's a whole other layer. That's another. Don't, that's the don't next. Don't get phase, me started but... about vanity presses. You know, I get very passionate and I can burn most of them <laughs> to the ground. But um, well, that is awesome, though. So we have to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I want to talk about what that was like for you to to self publish. So we will be right back. Okay. Hey, listeners. You know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. We're back. You're having your amazing bleeding. I have to say, this is really good, by the way, just for the record. It is not, um, they did the guava passion really well. Cause I feel like a lot of times with guava and passion through people add a lot of sugar to it to somehow sweeten it. Yeah. And I hate it when they do that. This is really good. Okay. So let's go back. Now you, you are, um, independently published. You, you publish yourself. You're an independent. Um, what was that journey like for you? Because it sounds like you did find a collective of people that can assist you. Cause a lot of people go into this no idea kind of what they're doing right you're like i'm gonna publish a book and then you're like hey i don't know what the next steps are cool i just thought about doing it like yeah i published two issues of a web comic but that's not the same thing so um i joined groups one of the first groups that i joined is a group called smut university and i university yeah oh i love that Sam is awesome. She runs it. And oh my God, I'm 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 not even gonna try to pronounce her last name. I'm sorry, Sam. <laughs> but uh she is amazing. And um I stayed there for uh almost a year and then I discovered Word Makers with which is Tasha L. Harrison's um group. We just recently finished something that we do every quarter, which is 20k in five days, and it's exactly as it sounds. You try to write 20,000 words in five days. Well, I think that's great because I think one of the biggest problems with writers outside of all the other stuff is um, it's the easiest thing to throw away is your writing time and not make time for it. It's the easiest thing to be like, okay, I need to go do this or that or whatever. And to really publish, I mean, you're talking about several novels. you, You must go faster. You have to be able to write more faster. So did you um, hit your 20K in five days? I got 12. The first time I did, I got 10. Second time was 13. My goal was 15, but this time I ended up getting 12. But in my defense, my neighbor's dog bit me, so I was kind of out of commission. <laughs> oh. oh, dog bite. See, that's a whole new level of dog ate my homework right there. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, really crazy because I told my job and I'm like, she's going to start to think I'm making this up because <laughs> at first we had like stomach issues that were like um, a stomach virus was making his way through our house. You know, my oldest had it, my husband had it, and then me and my youngest. And then it kind of made a, a comeback and it was uh, hitting my husband and my oldest child again. 
So then I had to contact my boss. And what's awesome is that my job is hybrid. So I mostly work from home. And so I just told her, so, okay, um, the stomach virus is wreaking havoc again in my family. And I got bit by a dog. So I'm not going to be coming into the office this week. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And she was just like, oh, my God, I hope you're okay. Yeah. yeah no, I, having done HR, I do understand. Because sometimes you go, huh? But if somebody's a good employee, you go, they wouldn't be making that up. I had to have a conversation with a credit card company the other day called The Dog Ate My Credit Card. I would just gotten a new card and the dog got a hold of it. And I, I should have saved it, chewed it up. I mean, chewed yeah. it up. So I was trying to go online to get just, you know, like, can you send me a new card? And they wouldn't do it because I had just gotten the card. And so I called them and I'm like, hey, I need you to reissue the card. I don't need a new number because they're like, is it lost or stolen? And I'm like, no, um, my dog ate it. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? And I, they're like, and I'm like, so it fell off the desk. My dog ate it. I need a new card. It's just the same number. I have the card. It's just, he chewed the, you know, the chip and everything. Like there was no scanning. There was no, and th- it took me a good probably three minutes to get them because they kept going. So it wasn't lost. And I'm like, no, no, I have it. I just can't use it because <laughs> the dog ate it. And I, the girl was like, that is literally the first time I've ever heard that. And I'm like, <laughs> I hope it's the last too. Cause it's ridiculous to have to call a credit card company to explain that to them. So well, I own a lizard. A lizard ain't going to eat my credit card. They'll eat my shoes, but not my credit card. I was going to say your lizard eats your shoes. So, um, okay. So your first book comes out in November of last year. What was that like being, because you had done web comics, so you're already published, which was awesome. But having that book in your hands, that is a whole other thing, I think. I didn't have the book in my hands just yet. It was an ebook, And I had to oh. save money in order to go on Ingram Spark and then make it a, a paperback. But the first time I did hold it in my hands was incredibly special. And the first time I saw it on a shelf, because I contacted the lovely ladies at the Ripped Bodice in Culver City, where my book is, uh, where the paperback for Where Their Smoke Is, is also in Roman's Bookstore in Pasadena. And you can get it on BarnesandNoble.com, so, as well as my website. <laughs> Anyways, Very um, cool. So I held it in my hands for the first time when I went to go see um I went to meet my friend um Erin she's also a uh, romance uh not author author her name is Erin LaRosa and um a book that she just released last year is called For Butter or Worse. So we met at the um, bookstore in person for the first time because we had just been talking through Twitter and once through zoom and we're like we both live in los angeles but she lives on the east side i live on the west side so we live further away apart from each other we're like but we have to meet in the middle we have to finally meet it took us a year to do it but that was the day that i saw where there's smoke on the bookshelf for the first time and i almost started crying and i told these two ladies who i hadn't and i didn't even know i was like this is my book and they're like oh my god we're gonna buy it so i went ahead and i signed it for them and they went ahead and they bought it so that that was an amazing feeling. <laughs> I, I was going to say when the, when you sign the book and you get fans and stuff, it, there's nothing, it, it really, I, I, I feel like from what authors have said and what I felt like it was really the full acknowledgement of the accomplishment of what you did. Yeah. Right. Cause even as eBooks, you publish these things and stuff, but it's so different when you sign a copy and give it to somebody, it's like a complete, and, and when I say somebody, I mean, 
generally like a stranger, like not somebody in your family that's like, we love what you did, Ron, excited folks, which is cool, <laughs> super cool. But it's when somebody is doing it because they want to read your book and not because they're just supporting you, which I do love the support of you. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, that first stranger interaction is kind of neat, I think. It is. It, I just, I was so excited. I immediately went on Twitter and I was just like, look, oh, my book. And then all my friends liked and retweeted my, my tweet and everybody was like super happy. And um, I remember mentioning it to some of my friends and one of my, um, one of the girls that I follow and I'm on a discord with, she said, um, girl, I would have cried. I would have cried right there in the store. I said, I almost did. <laughs> I had to stop myself because <laughs> I was about to walk up to those two ladies with like tears in my eyes and they would have been like, what? why is this woman walking up to us crying? <laughs> but, oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah, I, had to, that... I had to compose myself, but I was too excited not to say anything. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I have to ask this question because Twitter has not necessarily been the friendliest place for romance writers. Like most romance writers tend to stick to the Instagram, Facebook arena. Tell me about your Twitter experience because also with whatever's changing in Twitter, but how did you find your people in, in as far as romance writer people on Twitter? Cause I don't hear that very often. Um, no, there's still some stuff that's really not great, but I've been fortunate that I haven't been in any, negative Twitter drama. I haven't had any like arguments with anybody or, you know, anything really bad happen. Fingers crossed and knock on wood that it's an, that 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 continues. But yeah, when I joined um Word Makers and I've started becoming friends with people like Tasha and Mia and Chris and Dee and Lisa and Renee and just all these other amazing people. Um, it kind of just bled out because I realized, okay, these people are following these people, these people are following these people, these people. And then I just started following people and following people and following people and they started following me back and I was interacting with them. And as I interacted with more and more, I found that there were actually really, really a lot of really nice, cool, um, amazing people. Now, there have been some people that I followed and then um, I noticed that they had like maybe a worldview or a way of thinking that wasn't really something that I agreed with. So I would just politely unfollow them and then just keep it moving. But I haven't had like any sort of real negative interaction with anybody thus far. But I do switch between Twitter and um, Instagram a lot. So I tend to post on both and I tend to um, get like pretty decent numbers um, depending on what it is that I'm tweeting about um, on both platforms. So so far, no, so I think that's fantastic. And I love what you said about um, walking away, because I think it's so easy to get dragged into confrontation on the Internet. Yeah. And you're not actually having a, a, a I don't want to say serious. You're not having, to me, a real yeah. argument with somebody yeah. when you're arguing with them on social media. <laughs> like you don't even know who you're talking to, first of all, most of the time. And second of all. What is it going to do other than everybody else can have an opinion that they well, decide to throw in, you know? Yeah, you know, like I said, I suffer from anxiety and I'm not about to, you know, put my mental health at risk over some uh, goofy ass uh, opinion that I don't agree with. I'm just like block or I'm just if I see somebody saying something that's completely out of pocket or completely inappropriate or completely like just discriminatory, rude and wrong, I'm just my thing is 
I'm just going to block you because I don't need the stress in my life. <laughs> I live I in America that. and I'm black and I'm a woman. I have my life is stressful enough as it is. <laughs> Um, but that's, you know, even I, and I understand the anxiety, trust me. Um, but I still think that's a brilliant and very sane worldview to have, because I think it's easy sometimes, um, for creatives and especially, uh, you know, we're, we're, we need to publicize our books. We need to talk about what we're doing and stuff like that, which does open us up to a whole bunch of people that we may not already know or feel comfortable with because, we want to reach more of an audience. So you just have to know when to put your boundaries up and be confident in putting your boundaries up because that person who's being whatever is, in, you you don't necessarily want them as a fan. You don't need them as a fan. They don't need to buy your book. Yep. Yeah, it's, tr- it's tricky too, because um, I remember something, I think it was about a year ago. Um, one of my favorite authors, Rebecca Weatherspoon, she, um, she's based out here in LA and um, I believe she just released a YA book. I, I'm trying to remember the title. I'm so sorry. I don't, oh, it'll come to me. Anyways, um, she mentioned how we have to use social media to say, I'm going to be making an appearance on this thing. Or I'm going to be making an appearance at this conference. I'm going to be doing a panel. I'm going to be doing this. We have to let people know where we're going to be. We have to let people know, oh, I'm going to be speaking at... Um, you know, the ripped bodice this Saturday from one to three, I'm going to be signing books and doing a Q and a, so you have to let people know where your location is and you, ha- that's part of the job. And that doesn't necessarily like bode well for like your safety. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. You're, you're a celebrity. I say this all the time. You publish a book, you're a celebrity. You have to follow the rules of a celebrity. Like, You know, they have rules, they have things, you have to limit the personal information you're sharing on the internet, you have, you know, you just have to have that mindset, it's no longer Monique, the normal human, it's Monique, the celebrity author now, and you're going to be out there, and yeah, you have no idea whose lives you're touching, in what ways, you know, we all want it to be amazing, but, you know, I've, I've seen, and not even um, like stalkers like you'd make a Lifetime movie about, right? But you you have people that have a different view of how close or whatever they are to you. And you yeah, the parasocial to... thing that people are talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Except okay. for my friend request on Facebook. That means we're besties. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, but it's true. Like, it's amazing sometimes, like. How many times have we had somebody, you know, friend request us or whatever, and then they go in and like every single thing. And I'm like, Ugh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, especially selfies from like 20 years ago. You're like, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm always like, and block, right? Because it that's a red flag to me. If you go in, it's fine if you go and look and see and you're investigating my social because you weren't on it because it's locked down. But when you start being like, oh, blah, blah, blah. But that's why you really should as an author distance yourself a little bit from your personal social media versus your author social media dangerous game dangerous do, game. do as she says not as i do so yeah so mark you in your tinfoil hat crowd people it's just amazing um i mean okay. my my social media really is just work i don't even have a personal one it's sure. um i mean it, it has like little blends of personal stuff but it's mostly just like um this is what I'm having for dinner. This is my opinion on something. Um, 
Tony was the best dressed on girlfriends. Regine was the best dressed on living single. <laughs> you know, it's just like stuff like that. I just I I like share my opinions on like pop culture stuff and then talk about food or something. <laughs> or you know, I'm like, oh, I just had an edible and it just gave me a brilliant idea for <laughs> a book or whatever. I mostly do stuff like that and I mostly interact with um I interact with my friends. I'll occasionally tweet something and but for the most part, it's usually just, hey, buy my books. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much all it is. Nice. No, it's, it's just an interesting, dangerous world. Okay, we're going to have to do literary briefs here in a second. But Mark, I realized I've monopolized this conversation. It's all right. I've a, been enjoying this. So. Okay, I'm going to let you ask a question, though. And then we're going to go into literary briefs. All right. So, Monique, what do you find? Where do you find most of your inspiration for your characters and your plots? Real life movies other people's um like I remember I was reading something and I thought whenever I read something I don't obviously plagiarism is bullshit but I do find myself thinking hmm if I had written something like this I would have done this you know what if I had done this I would have made them enemies to lovers but I wouldn't have put them in a law firm I would have put them somewhere like rival whatever whatever so i could be um like reading something like uh, enemies to lovers book where it's um two rival attorneys or something and then from there i could come up with like maybe a rivals to lovers book where they're both you know um high school choir directors <laughs> it's like well if i were writing this book i would have them be this and i would have them do that and i would have them do that so i have had my found myself reading somebody else's book and then thinking well if i had my version of so-and-so's book such and such it would be this so I found myself doing that and I think we all do that to an extent and plus like there's only so many tropes there's only so many like um you know uh second chance romance um soulmates uh friends to lovers enemies to lovers um billionaire romances uh, marriage of convenience or whatever and I love all those tropes but there's only so many and eventually there's going to be like some of some that are going to feel similar to others but what I try to do is I try to not make my ideas they may be inspired by other people's work but I definitely do not <laughs> cannot stress that enough <laughs> I would not ever take an idea from somebody else if anything I find inspiration because I follow a lot of really brilliant writers and like I said whenever they write something that's like enemies to lovers or something like that I find myself thinking okay if I were to write this it would be here I would have it take place in Long Beach I would have his job be this I would have her job be that I would have a child involved I would add and I would just like add different things that are different from what they're doing but at the same time still using the same trope so I'll find myself reading books where I'm like, ooh, that's a great trope. If I wrote that trope, I would do this. <laughs> so that's where I get some ideas. I also get ideas from dreams. I tend to have very vivid dreams where um, there is a linear story, a beginning, middle, and end. And there are times where I've woken up, I've pulled out my phone, I've pulled up an app, and I'm just like, okay, idea, bullet point. <laughs> this happens. That happens. Uh, I remember one time I was at work and an idea just struck me and it's um, one of the rom-coms I'm going to be writing, but it's it's years in the making. But it was, you know, high school crush. 
you know, this woman gets reunited with her high school crush after he's gotten divorced from his wife and he needs her to fake date him and she actually needs him to fake date her. <laughs> and so it's a bunch of fake dating, second chance romance. She gets to um finally uh, be or eventually be with the man that she's um had a crush on or who she's compared all these other men to since high school so and I just came up with that idea simply by sitting at a check-in table checking people in at my old job um where I worked um uh we we were um an organization that did free concerts and my job was to check in our VIP um people and I'm sitting there checking in VIPs putting on wristbands and all of a sudden I have an idea that pops in my head so I'm sorry, that was very lengthy. <laughs> no, no, good. no it's it's it it's where we get it. I mean, I get a ton of my ideas from people watching. Like my I write horror, so I go, how could this go really, really wrong? But um, it's the same thing. It's like <laughs> you know, you get inspiration, imagination. That's what it's all about. Okay, we are gonna go into the literary briefs rapid fire portion of this particular podcast. Are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> I like saying that, but we're going to do it anyway, so it doesn't matter if you're ready. So here we go. Um, <laughs> uh, what is your favorite book of all time? Oh, well, that's that's a very good question. I do not know, but you know what? It's probably you know I'll probably say Friends and Lovers by Eric Jerome Dickey, the late Eric Jerome Dickey. I started. Um, reading uh one of the things that me and my mom had in common was a love of reading and we almost had like our own little book club like we would read books and then like discuss them amongst each other but um one of the first books that I read um when I was you know like in my formative years I was a preteen getting ready to be a teenager I read Waiting to Exhale by Mm -hmm. Terry because my mom owned it and I think I was about 12 years old when I read it and um from there I just kind of went from Waiting to Exhale, to Disappearing Acts, to Mama, to How Stella Got a Groove Back, and I read um, all these Terry McMillan books, and then from there, I discovered Eric Jerome Dickey, because people were like, oh, do you like Terry McMillan? Well, you'll like his books, too. He was, like, I think um, a critic called him a brother in Terry McMillan territory, and I actually found myself enjoying his books um, more, just because the romantic elements in his books felt stronger than hers hers definitely leaned more towards women's fiction whereas his were just just a lot more um romantic a lot of the people um in his books a lot of the couples would always end up together at the very end so there was uh, it did have kind of a women's fiction feel to it but there was a lot more um romance and there were like there felt like there were a lot more HEAs in his book which happily after sorry <laughs> no no totally oh so, um, yeah if I had to I probably would um say um friends and lovers because that was the very first book of his that I read very cool what is your least favorite book of all time <laughs> we all have them that doesn't mean they're bad that means they weren't for us uh Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> a lot of people say that. It's, yeah. You've gotten that more than once. Yes. I, I had to read that for school. And the whole time I was just like, this guy's just so whiny, entitled. <laughs> why am I supposed to be rooting for him? Yep. And yep. Why do so many men like this book? <laughs> Me with Jane Eyre. I'm in the same boat. So it's all good. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, yeah, so. about that. Okay, Mark. All right, my question is, uh, what is your favorite uh, book to movie? Like, 
thing. Where you think they did a good job of it. Yeah. Um, oh, they have Solo got her groove back. That was Noah Bassett uh, is so amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. And I met her. She's so sweet. Oh, is she? Oh, she seems she's, like it. She seems very, like very it. Nice. But, very nice. Oh, there's so much. Yeah, I think they, they got the, I feel like um there were some differences, obviously, because I read the book and I read I saw the movie, and there were some things I agreed with and some things I didn't, but for the most part, I think they got it. Uh I think that that was uh adaptation I actually did find myself really enjoying. Very cool. Right, and you mentioned earlier you you started with a one-act play about 70s exploitation films. What is your favorite 70s exploitation film? Your guilty pleasure. What do you like the most? No, I don't, I don't even see them as guilty pleasures. I actually just genuinely enjoy them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, anything with Pam Greer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anything with Pam Greer. Yeah, I, I agree. Oh. No arguments there. <laughs> I mean, her pulling a, a gun out of her afro, that's... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. What about, um, what is your favorite writing snack? Like if you're just, when you sit down to write, what are your go-to like snacks and drinks? Well, my go-to drink is probably coffee. <laughs> my uh, go-to snack, it's funny because I don't really eat while I'm writing. I tend to eat beforehand. That way I'm not like distracted and like, oh, okay, I, I'm hungry. So I want to eat something right now. So I try to eat something beforehand. That way I'm not just, you know, um, cause if I'm distracted and I need food cause I love to eat <laughs> and I'm trying to get words down the whole time, I'm just like, you know, typing away and I'm thinking about, oh my God, <laughs> and... like there are chocolate covered almonds in the kitchen. I just put a bunch of random letters. I'm going to go eat those. Okay. Um, what about your, your favorite kind of writing environment? Like if you, this, this is, if you went, this is my perfect writing environment, what would it be? Um, pretty much my room I, I commend people that are able to write in public because I'm not <laughs> I'm not like if you're able to sit in a, at a table at a Starbucks and just write then bravo because here's the thing about me I am and I would like to point out that I've had friends that tell me that they do the same exact thing <laughs> so when I'm in my bedroom and the, the the door is unlocked, my husband can come in at any moment. I'm pacing back and forth and I'm having a conversation in my head with the um the characters. Like the characters are having converse, a conversation with each other in my head and I'll start laughing because, you know, I'm like, okay, um, I have these two characters. Um, like the book I'm currently um, writing is the follow-up of For Hot for Teacher and it's called Spend My Life with You. And like I said, it's a uh, sibling trilogy. So Latrice is the oldest sibling and this book is her brother Thaddeus's book. And it's between Thaddeus and her best friend, Drea. And it's a marriage pact with disapproving family members on both sides and their soulmates. So um, I'll be walking back and forth in my room and all of a sudden I'll think of something that Thaddeus can say to Drea that's just incredibly uh, silly and um, just something that he's trying to say to her in order to make her smile or make her laugh and all of a sudden I just start bursting out laughing and I'll be sitting in front of my computer I'll run back to my hop on my, hop and hop onto my bed and they just start typing and then start laughing and giggling as I'm typing and then my husband will just walk into the room get whatever it is he needs and just walk right out <laughs> I even told him I said if you see me pacing or laughing at myself just ignore it and he was like okay <laughs> I love that because one of the, I talk I will have the conversations out loud and my boyfriend will be like what are you 
and he'll be like, oh, you're, you're doing that thing. Cause I'll have the entire conversation. Like I'll drive, uh, be driving and I'll start talking. And he's like, what? And I'm like, no, no, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go where I am right now. <laughs> so I love that. Um, Mark. Yep. Do you have a soundtrack you listen to when you write or, or do you have anything like that? It depends. It depends on um, what. Like, for example, when I was writing Take Care, because uh, Jamila works at a cabaret, um, one of the things that happens in the opening scene is that she's doing the makeup for her friend who is just a new hire. And it, it's the friend's uh, the friend's name is Daisy and it's her stage debut and she's nervous. And so Jamila's doing her make- makeup and the song that Daisy sings, even though she's not the main character, I still found myself wanting to listen to the song. And it was uh, Zube Zube Zu. And I've listened to the version that appears in, on Mad Men. And at one point, um, my French is terrible, but um, Jamila sings this song, this famous song that Josephine Baker sang, and she's actually dressed as Josephine Baker with like the banana skirt and everything, and she okay. has her hair in the signature style, and she's singing um, Josephine Baker's signature song. So of course, I found it and I started listening to it while I was writing that scene. And um, at one point, Amari takes her to an industry party because he knows all these people and he wants her to network with people because he believes in her talent. And uh, he's also uh, (laughs) falling for her. She's falling for him too, but he genuinely wants to help her. And they're at an industry party and she just wows everybody with like the soulful rendition of Good Morning Heartache. And so I found a rendition of it by this amazing R&B singer who's been doing this since... I, I can't even remember when Shantae Moore's debut album came out. I think it was 1993. So she's been doing this for a while. And she's amazing. And she did um, this special years ago where Josephine Baker and Billie Holiday were being honored. And I believe another person were being honored. And Shantae did a rendition of Good Morning Heartache that was amazing. And that was the rendition I had in mind when I was thinking of Jamila singing it. And she's singing it in front of all of these industry people, completely wowing them. And you know, just captivating them as well as captivating Amari, who's already falling for her. So I found myself listening to these songs and the song, the title itself even comes from a song. I'm bad at coming up with titles, so I typically just name them after songs. Hence, Hot for Teacher, the Van Halen song. (laughs) And Take Care is a song by Queen Janet. That's what I call Janet Jackson because I'm a huge fan. I love her. So um, she has a song on uh, her, one of her albums that came out in 2006 called 20YO because it was like the 20th anniversary since she had released the control album and the song is called take care and it's really um it's a, a beautiful song very sensuous and everything um the lyrics of the song don't match with the plot of the um, book so i hope people don't think that's the case i just thought it would make, make a really great title <laughs> and, um, but i was listening to the song while writing it very cool very cool okay shameless self-promotion time where can people find you in your books on social media well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram primarily. On Instagram, you can find me at MoFine, which is M as in Mary, O as in Ocean, F as in Fish, Y as in Yo-Yo, N as in Nancy, E as in Elephant. So it's just at MoFine. And on um, Twitter, I'm Fisher MoFine. So I'm at Fisher MoFine. So it's F-I-S-H-E-R. Uh, there is no C. It's spelled the same way as Carrie Fisher. May she rest in peace. I love her. People used to ask me when they would do it. She's me at school. Ask me if I was related to Princess Leia. And just to fuck with them, I would say, yeah. <laughs> I I'm love it. Half sister. Eddie Fisher had an affair with my mom. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> so, um, of course, he was a player. There, there are some fools that actually fell for it. That was hilarious. Anyways, <laughs> um, so it's at Fisher Mofine. So it's still um, M O F Y N E, but it's fish at Fisher Mofine. That's on Twitter. And my website is moniquefisherauthor.com, all one word. Very cool. And your books are wide, correct? Well, right now they're on KDP. And um, like I said, Where There's Smoke is also at The Ripped Bodice. It's on barnesandnoble.com. You can get it on Amazon and you can get it if you're ever in um, Pasadena at Roman's Bookstore. And I'm trying to get it at more independent bookstores. Um, For now, you can pre-order Hot for Teacher on Amazon and you can pick up Take Care, which is an ebook right now on um, Amazon as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Absolutely, absolutely. This has been, I've, I've had so many scribble notes. I've taken so many notes as yep. a podcast. I was diving in a few here too. So Yeah, exactly. So guys, this has been Drinking With Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the amazing Mark Muncy for Erie Travels. And our guest today has been the fabulous Monique Fisher. And don't forget to like, subscribe, um, leave a review, comments. We love those. And we will see you guys next time. 